0: the reality is we've got a lot of information about what uh, essentially the carriers for vaccine and that sort of thing. So really what we're just looking at is the little tiny piece of the vaccine that relates to this individual, um, A virus um so you know that other stuff is
1: we're not creating some like rat lab brand new thing no we're we're evolving things that have been tested for years
0: you're exactly right so this is based on what we've done with flu vaccines other sort of respiratory vaccines uh and we're taking that to the next step for this specific item
1: what's up zach oates here author entrepreneur and customer relationship guru Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined by Stephen Mondernock. Uh, Stephen is the executive director of the Association of Food and Drug Officials. He has authored several scientific articles. He does trade show uh, and, and industry speeches. He's a textbook author. He's an adjunct professor. Um, and while he does have his juris doctorate, I have on good authority that he is a good guy. So <laughs> we... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been heavily involved in government. And, and so I am so grateful that you're with us today, Stephen. So thanks for joining us.
0: Well, it's great to be here, Zach. We're excited to join you today.
1: So first of all, tell us what the AFDO, uh, <laughs> AF, yeah, AFDO the Association of Food and Drug Officials, um, tell us about what, what you guys do.
0: Sure. Uh, Afto actually is a, a unique organization. We actually were founded in 1896, over 10 years before the first federal food and drug regulations happened. Oh, wow. okay. We actually advocated for the fund, uh, for the founding of the precursor to the FDA. Uh, worked directly with the kind of uh, Dr. Wiley, who some of you might be familiar with, that was kind of the first expert in food and drug areas um, to actually find the uh, found the FDA along with lots of uh, other uh, consumer-focused organizations. So right now we work with in industry groups, uh, regulatory community, state, local, and federal officials, and in some cases international uh, regulatory officials, to try to find the best practices uh, and move those forward, working toward uniformity. I'm sure as an operator of a restaurant, you might be in multiple states sometimes. The last thing you want is a different regulation in one state or the next, or even one county or one city in the next. So we work to help uh, alleviate those things and move people toward uh, a common set of regulations.
1: So, Now that that is that is a great point that you bring up in just in terms of when you cross state state borders, even county borders, it can feel a little bit frustrating as things are changing so much where well, first of all, let's talk about this. Why are things changing so much. Why is it changing so quickly. Well, lots of different information, and each location is different. Um, so,
0: COVID has been very different depending on where you're at and what circumstances are happening um, where you're at. So, you may see one city that has a very, uh, very different needs than the next city. A uh, good example is uh, I live in Philadelphia now. The city of Philadelphia has very different restrictions than the outlying suburban counties. But a lot of that is really related to what we have within the city. Within the city, there's you know very little space not a lot of opportunities for outdoor dining, et cetera. So reopening of some levels of restaurants has been more challenging. And, and on the other side, delivery and carryout is probably more favorable. When you get to the suburbs, there's more outdoor space, more ability for outdoor dining, and those sorts of things. And delivery is, and carry out may not be as great an option for some people. Um, so those are the kind of differences you see. Not to mention the case counts. Where you're in a high case count area, you're going to have very different restrictions than you are in a low case count area. Uh, and those are just uh, some realities we face. You know, we still have some of those counties across the country that have under uh, 15 cases of COVID. Uh, some with a few left with zero. Uh, oh, so wow. they're going to have very different restrictions of course the relatively low population counties but still, yeah. uh, those are all things that impact those decisions uh, and then the other piece of that is the local community will make some difference um, depending on what your population looks like may determine some of what you do as restrictions so if you're in a, uh, a very um, uh, highly susceptible communities, so high level of senior citizens, uh, maybe a large healthcare setting where you have a lot of immunocompromised people, you may have very different restrictions than in, you know, a community that's, you know, the average age is 27, you're going to have a different set of restrictions. So those are all things that the individual community has to think about as they're putting their, particularly their COVID restrictions
1: in place. Now, with all of that, though, it really does put a lot of burden on the, especially multi-unit restaurants, Right. Um, And it puts a lot of burden on like the single unit restaurants where they're just trying to figure out what to do. And now they have this, all this additional complexity to it. So where do people go to find out what should I be doing in my community?
0: So first, always uh, start with your local health authority. So whoever is issuing you your restaurant permit would be who I'd start with. Often a local health department, sometimes the Department of Agriculture, uh, sometimes the State Department of Health, depending on where you're at. Go to them first and see what restrictions they've got out there and recommending. Then uh, there may be additional restrictions uh, imposed by your local public health, even if they aren't your regulatory community uh, or agency. So you just need to look between those two. um, And uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and ask questions. Your local inspector is always a good tool if you have their card and you're not sure what, who you should be talking to and what resources you should be following. Pick up the phone, call them, drop them an email, and they'll be more than happy to assist.
1: Awesome. Yeah, because I think that, that is one of the things that becomes very challenging, right? Because there's not one place to go that has all of the regulations of here's what to do, right? There's not yeah. one book that everyone's, or one database that everyone's uploading to.
0: Yeah, um, uh, the National Restaurant Association does have some nice resources out there that tries to give you some at least state by state what restrictions are still in place. So that's another place to look at. Um, but in the other piece is technically, these are not regulations. Most of this is done by some form of executive order. Uh, so they're even harder to find and uh, yeah. maybe buried even further. So it's not like a traditional regulation. So, yeah, your, your inspector uh, and your
1: local health department are probably going to be your best resources today. Yeah, because I know that a lot of our clients, they're just like watching every press conference they can, and they're mm-hmm. spending their day trying to figure out when is the next press conference, and and uh, just to see what am I allowed, not allowed to do, um, yeah. and that and that becomes very laborious, right?
0: Absolutely. And we get it, too. I mean, oftentimes, uh, the regulatory agencies are fighting out the same time as the press conference. <laughs> oh, okay, how do we change this today? Uh, and it's just a reality. This is a fast-evolving situation. One other thing that we didn't expect in this process uh, quite as quickly as what we're seeing, um, I think when most of us sat down and did guidance, whether it be uh, the restaurant industry, International you know, Restaurant Association, Food Marketing Institute on the grocery side. Uh, Retail, other retail-related groups. Um, none of us had really thought through that this is going to ratchet up and down as as much as it has. So that was kind of an unexpected for us. I mean, we all kind of built this on the traditional Epi curve, where we go up and we go down. Not we go up, we go yeah. down, we go up. Yeah. So uh, we didn't think about that. And I'll tell you, I think all of us thought the same thing when we were doing this. It just didn't come to our minds. So you know, right now I'm working with some of the major. Um, uh, industry groups to revise what we had pr- as best practices out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that will be helpful, at least the concept of when do you evolve things and, and how do you change and how should you be thinking about it? Um, and if you have that as your basis, you're probably going to be on the front end of any regulatory or executive order changes. So um, what other thing to kind of think about, this is probably a, a good thing in some ways for all operators, because we've never had a better focus on employee health and handwashing. Mm -hmm. Those are the two most important things in food safety every day. So right now, you know, your number one job as an operator is going to be make sure everyone is healthy. And if they aren't, they shouldn't be there. Uh, And we've got a huge emphasis on that, that I think will carry over to the future. I mean, there's a much better understanding of employee health today than there's ever been in the, in the food industry. Uh, The second, Piece of the puzzle is people know how to wash their hands today, and there's an emphasis on that beyond what we've ever seen before. And uh, you know, when have you ever seen on network television commercials telling you to wash your hands? I mean, yeah,
1: this is I mean, new. Usually, usually that that's resolved to like one of those old posters that's stuck to the mirror that's starting to peel off in the restaurant exactly. bathroom that says "Employees must wash hands," and everyone's thinking, uh, "Duh!" But yeah. and yet, I've seen numerous times employees just walk right out of the bathroom right and we all have yeah and and it's not that it's not that they necessarily you know in my mind now it's not that i want them to wash their hands because they went to the bathroom although i do yep. it's I, I want them to wash their hands just to increase the frequency with which they are washing their hands Right? Absolutely. So it's like great. Go go pee six times a day because I want you to wash your hands six times a day.
0: It's all, you're exactly right, and, and I think these are two things that we'll see will be much better after COVID because we have a much better awareness of how we actually transmit viruses and bacteria bec- through the through all methods. So you know it's going to be a, a good repercussion, I guess, of the COVID outbreaks.
1: Now you just said a phrase that I haven't heard in a very long time, which was after COVID. I mean, you're sitting there, you're, you're kind of on the, on the top of this food chain, pun intended, and kind of looking out at, at what's happening. Um, but so many people are just day to day, they're not thinking after COVID, they're thinking like this weekend, right? Uh-uh. Yeah. Um, so, so what does, is there an after COVID? Like, is there a day, Stephen, where this actually does come to a conclusion and that curve is truly crushed?
0: I, I think there is. Um, you know, the reality is after COVID means we have a vaccine or we have so uh, we hit that herd immunity phase, which we're, you know, realistically to get to herd immunity, we're two and a half or three years away. But I think the vaccine is coming along well. All of the, the scientists in that world are thinking that it is reasonable that we will have a vaccine that's effective uh, in January and probably available for wide distribution in the second quarter of um, 2021 so i think that march April time frame is probably when most folks will have access to the vaccine um, I, i'm hopeful they're right uh, because uh, otherwise it's good we're on for a much longer road um, and on the other side this is the fastest we have ever had a vaccine developed for anything so this is pretty amazing that we're looking at vaccine development in basically 12 months um, and uh, luckily we had some Preliminary work based on some of the other types of COVID that are uh, um, able to be applied to this and seem to be working, and they were able to fast track it with that. And a lot of resources, uh, financial resources, that allowed them to divert a lot of uh, scientists to help uh, move things along. But it's going to be amazing to see a vaccine from uh, fully developed in 12 months. Uh, That's something we've
1: never done before. Now, one thing, Stephen, that as I hear that, I think, oh, that's great. On the other hand, I remember a movie, "I am Legend," where <laughs> they developed this like cancer drug, right yeah. and then it turned everyone into zombies yeah. um, so so how do we make sure and obviously you know it's it's really hard to understand long term repercussions when you have such a streamlined um, vaccine but how do we how do we come April? um, 2021, how do we feel safe about that vaccine? Well,
0: that's a great, the reality is we've got a lot of information about what, uh, essentially the carriers for vaccine and that sort of thing. So really what we're just looking at is the little tiny piece of the vaccine that relates to this individual, um, a virus um so you know so that we're, other we're not, stuff is
1: we're not creating some like rat lab brand new thing no we're we're evolving things that have been tested for years
0: you're exactly right so this is based on what we've done with flu vaccines other sort of respiratory vaccines uh go, and we're taking that to the next step for this specific item gotcha. um, so we have lots of good things there uh i will tell you get vaccinated. It is important. Uh, And that will really be what stops the spread of this virus at the large scale and gets us back to
1: normal. So so what you're saying is, we're not inventing a new recipe. We're we're adding uh, we're adding sage to our beef stroganoff.
0: We we are. You're exactly right. This is not a, a from scratch. The other piece is, of course, all of these are going into clinical trials as we speak, which d- verifies that indeed they're safe on humans. Um, so you know that is happening, um, maybe a little bit more accelerated than normal, but um, that is happening, and the safety will be well verified. and And I would probably argue uh, it's still a whole lot better to get vaccinated and the risk is much lower from that than getting the disease
1: yeah and by that time though i mean won't, like, 30% of the population have been infected so, with COVID?
0: Well, we're at, uh, we're you know, we're approaching the 3 million mark, um, even if you look at some of the research yesterday that came out from CDC suggesting what uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe uh, up to 22% more of the population, or of, uh, there's 22% more yes. than that 3 million people that have gotten it. Well, in a country of our size, uh, at this point, we don't even have a state the size of Iowa that has had, that has had the illness. Uh, the Illness. we're far from it and um, and hopefully our medical controls will keep that and along with our social distancing and other uh, interventions will keep us from getting to that point um, just imagine what the death number is if we actually hit that point of you know getting to that 30 percent of the population having had covid um, you know that's a pretty huge number we would probably see the equivalent of you know uh, relatively you know three to millions of people at that point uh, not not thousands if we got to that point
1: now in terms of preventative measures should i as a restaurant owner and operator should i make sure that my employees are wearing masks because yes. obviously social distancing is impossible behind the counter right you you so, can't social distance but talk to me about masks
0: Masks are very important. And the reason that masks are important is simply, it help if you're one of those carriers that does not have the symptoms, they're an asymptomatic carrier, it helps them to prevent the spread to others. So that's the number one reason to wear that mask is because and particularly some of those folks that are working in restaurants They tend to be a little uh, younger and more likely to be asymptomatic So wearing that mask is absolutely critical along with those monitoring things You should be, you know monitoring them with the symptoms list every day Uh, Many of the large chains are doing some sort of uh, call in every day with an ask a nurse sort of thing as you're coming into Work to verify uh, that you don't have symptoms. Uh, You definitely watch the evolution of the symptoms list. It has changed over time You know, we now know that it's not just the temperature. We're also seeing some loss of taste, some loss of smell, uh, are common early symptoms, uh, you know, all along with a whole list of things. Uh, Definitely want to look through the, uh, have your folks affirmatively look at those every day and make sure as they're coming in, no, I feel, uh, I don't feel any of these things. I'm good to come to work. Okay. And of course, temperature checks is another great option to consider. Um, but think through those. And if you're effective, you can be effective in at least doing everything you can do to minimize that. But the mask is the last step of that process of prevention.
1: Gotcha. And, and uh, what things should I be asking? What questions do you wish sure. that like, you know, these restaurant owners would be asking to, to figure out? Uh, one, is
0: there anyone with COVID in your household? Have you been exposed to anyone with COVID? Uh, I'm going to tell you, even if they don't have it, probably a good sign, hey, it'd be a good time to go home now. <laughs> uh, you know, and I know that's hard, but uh, that's the reality. If you're exposed, uh, you, you have great potential of getting Uh, Covid, Um, So, you know, those are things to think about. Also, you know, have you traveled anywhere? If so, are you in one of those places that is a, you know, high COVID area right now? Uh, So, you know, that's evolving, but there are good resources out there to give you an idea of where those are. If you're in states such as, uh, you know, uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, there's a whole list of places where after you come home from your quarantine for 14 days, well, that's a good idea if they've just come home from one of those and maybe not following the quarantine order. Hey, you probably shouldn't be working. Uh, go home. It's time. Uh, yeah. So those are things to think about. Um, there's a whole list of questions. If you Google, um, you know, what questions should I ask in the food industry, there you'll find several resources out there. All of them are in about the same uh, direction. Uh, also, do consider the temperature checks. I, I think it's an easy way, just uh, one more verification step uh, as you're coming in. And, and once again, helps emphasize to the
1: worker that this is really important important. And what last piece of advice would you have to our listeners, viewers?
0: Well, I think the last thing I would remind them is, um, you know, this may change how you operate forever. Um, This is not a one day at a time thing. Uh, Your customers are going to be much more sensitive going forward to some of these concepts. Um, You know, your volume that you can put in your dining room post-COVID, even though you could fit that many people in your dining room, that may not be acceptable to the customers anymore. They recognize now, hey, I don't want to be this close to people and some of that. Um, So I think there's some of those things that will change. Um, Also, carry out and delivery. Probably will continue at a much higher level than what we've seen before. Um, um, and then, you know, the other side of that is you're going to see a, probably some trends toward um, uh, what we've seen right now. Home cooking is probably on the upward. Uh, so, if you can do meal kits and those sort of things, uh, maybe it's time to think about some of those options too.
1: Love that. So, Stephen, here's here's my takeaways. One. Um, look for who's ever issuing your permits or your local inspector, check out the NRA, get the right resources to find the right information. Uh, two, I love that most important out of this is employee, um, employee safety and hand washing. That Those things are gonna be you know forever changed. Uh, three, March, April, 2021, we're really hopeful for a vaccine and it's not gonna be a brand new thing, so don't get scared. Uh, by this. We're not going to have an I am legend scenario here. Four, um, wear masks and monitor the new symptoms.
0: Yep, absolutely. All great things. If you do those things, you should minimize your risk of having COVID uh, exposed employees. One other thing, uh, can I I just suggest this as we're ending? Um, Go through your your establishment, your restaurant, and look at those places that have the potential for uh, having congregation of people. You know, where would people naturally end up closer together than was social distancing. Think about how to change the flow so you can avoid mm. that and then also really examine those high touch points and make sure you've in, implemented a much more frequent cleaning schedule for those touch points. So those are just two other things you could do but really, you know, kind of walk in with fresh eyes, go through your your establishment and figure out, hey, these are some things that we need to do differently and we can't do the way we've done them in the past. Mm. Um, so, let,
1: yeah. And let's put those under the uh, fifth learning, which is yes. make, make sure that um, there are things that will change forever about your business. So I like that. Come into it with a fresh set of eyes because the game has changed. The rules are different and the rules are changing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is an evolving situation and we're learning more every day.
1: Okay. So Steven, how do people find you, follow you?
0: So uh, what I would suggest to them is go out to several of the social media outlets for the association. So Facebook Association of Food and Drug Officials, Twitter at AFTO News, uh, LinkedIn Association of Food and Drug Officials, and YouTube AFTO. Uh, we do have a ton of COVID-related video resources on that YouTube channel, and those are evolving constantly. So uh, definitely look at all those formats to uh, uh, see what's happening with COVID in the food industry.
1: Awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Today's ovation goes to you for helping keep us informed, up to speed and uh, for overall being a good voice of reason out there in the food community. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed you're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to ovationup.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.